Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, August 13th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, it is Monday. That means that we had stuff in the podcast feed over the weekend. First up on Saturday, Jenna Tessa Fox was back with a new episode of her Spotlight podcast. And then she talked to a guy who, and I'm not 100% sure we've ever talked about him or his show on this podcast before. Um, Maybe some people under the age of 25 have heard of it. It's called Be More Chill by Joe Iconis. (laughs) Joe Iconis was uh, was her guest. Um, We're going to be talking about that show even more here in a few minutes uh, but it's clearly the most buzzed about show in New York right now and that's pretty uh, pretty impressive for an off-Broadway show in a theater that seats less than 300 um, so great interview great episode check that one out and then yesterday with this week on Broadway you Peter and Michael talked about uh, a bunch of stuff but you know some of the the bigger name things were uh, the public theater Shakespeare in the Park 12th night be more chill, of course, because we're it's like the new Hamilton. We can't stop talking about it. Um, Straight White Men and Mary Page Marlowe, two second stage shows, one on Broadway, one off. Anything uh, stick out to you as being especially important from uh, this week on Broadway yesterday, James? Well, Twelfth Night, um, you know, I, I saw it on Saturday evening and Michael saw it and we both gave it really good reviews. It's gotten overall great reviews. It's going to be playing in London, uh, and we were talking about the fact that this property has been adapted more than once to a musical stage, but this seems this production seems to have gotten really right, and we were hoping that this production will have a future life after Central Park. I don't really think it'll have a Broadway life, but I hope that it, it plays all the Shakespeare festivals, all the summer theaters. It... I hope it plays all over the world. It's that good. I've really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've seen at least one Twelfth Night musical. I think it was actually called Illyria. Um, so, so this one is would definitely, I think, play well in the regions, especially if they figure out a way to maintain the community interaction part of it. If they're able to figure out a way to do that the way that because this was born out of the public works and involves community organizations, I think that would be a really special way to help grow the arts in regions and cities across the country that don't have the benefit of being New York. So uh, definitely be uh, fun to kind of chart the progress and the growth of this show across the country and the world. But one thing that before we get into the news, James, I wanted to let everyone know if they weren't already uh, aware that one week from tonight will be the annual Broadway Sleepout benefiting Covenant House, which serves homeless youths in New York City. I spoke with Stephanie J. Block, one of the event's co-founders last year uh, about this. She will be out of town for this one, so she can't participate. But the list of who is going to be there is pretty impressive. Uh, Stage and screen star Rachel Brosnahan, Audra McDonald, Keala Settle, Casey Levy, Darius Tejas, and more. If you would like to support um, one of those stars or some of the other Broadway folks that are participating, or if you just want to aid in the effort in general, we will have a link in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. It is obviously a a most worthy cause. It's really hot outside right now, uh, but as you know, it'll be very cold in a few months and and giving to the Covenant House to try to get some people off the streets, especially kids, is, is super important. I'll also throw in my conversation with Block from last summer in case you want to learn more about the sleep out specifically in Covenant House in general. Oh, that's a, a great reminder. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, it was a great interview that you had last year with Stephanie. Uh, we should see if we can uh, chat with some more folks and uh, do another, another uh, additional show to see if we can 
uh, bring it up again and support uh, Covenant House and the Sleep Out. Okay, first up in the news. Told you. Uh, uh, be More Chill extends off Broadway. We didn't talk about this last week, or is it that no. we did the Thursday show, Friday yes, show, Thursday came, night? Yes, this came out on Friday. Uh, if everyone who's been listening, they'll remember that I said there was no way that Be More Chill could possibly extend. That's right. Because Michael C. Hall would be starring in Tom Paine based on nothing in the same venue the next month. Well, apparently I was wrong, as the Joe Iconis and Joe Tracks musical will play one additional week at the Pershing Square Signature Center before it absolutely must close, according to the press release, at least. Um, I, I tell you this, not, you know, I tell you this basically just to let you know that it extended and not to encourage you to buy tickets because there ain't none left. Uh, the additional week of tickets mm-hmm. was completely gone within hours of the announcement. However, it will give you an extra week to enter and then lose the lottery. Um, Be More Chill will now close on September 30th, and Tom Payne, based on nothing, will begin performances on October 23rd. Now, James, on Friday after the announcement, we texted and you said that you know, a one week extension doesn't really count as an extension. I mean, it is an extension, but it's not like anything that changes the game. But do you think that this extra week and maybe the speed at which it sold out, um, you know, it's only it's only an additional two thousand three hundred fifty two tickets by my math. But do you think that tells us anything about how they rolled this out, about what might be the future for be more chill? Was it perhaps a test to see if that initial frenzy of diehard fans that kind of bombarded the box office at the very beginning was still there and it hadn't been exhausted? Or do you think it's just, hey, we can probably push the, you know, the teching and the set building for Tom Payne an extra week. So why not? Why don't we cash in? No, I don't necessarily think they were testing it as much as uh, there was such a, a demand for it and lots of phone calls, I'd imagine, for the, the general manager's office. Uh, they were probably getting barraged with lots of requests uh, for tickets. So it made sense for them to uh, extend. And it also uh, gives them a really good litmus test for uh, – I shouldn't say litmus test. It gives them really good example to go to investors for the next step and say, hey, you know, yeah. we sold out this run. We extended. We sold out that run. Uh, this is a hot show, although I'm pretty sure legally you can't say this is a hot show. <laughs> is that not allowed legally? Yeah, yeah. Legally, when you're soliciting investment in a property, you can't say this is a hot show you need to get in before it takes off it's kind of, that's kind of boiler room scamish and there's legal rules around what you can and can't say about huh. an investment in a show i had no idea but you can you can say it's a hot show without saying it's a hot show by giving exactly. the data that hey we sold out the entire yes. run and then the extension within like six hours that 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 will communicate the hot showness of yes, the show exactly Exactly. All right. Uh, next up in the news, there's an impending battle over radio waves. Yeah, James, this is something that we've actually discussed a couple times over the past few years, mostly in passing, but it's starting to become real now. Um, there, This is pretty technical and mostly over my head because I'm dumb. But basically, in a recent article in Wired, they explained that, quote, four years ago, in an effort to bolster the country's tech infrastructure, the FCC decreed that the proportion that the portion of the radio spectrum used by most wireless mics would be better utilized for faster and more robust mobile broadband service. Now, as the telecom companies that won the rights to that spectrum begin to use it, the prior tenants are scrambling for new radio frequency homes. Now, what that means, James, is that anyone who has 
wireless mic equipment that was designed to work on those specific frequencies, which is most of them, they will have to replace that equipment. Some of the radio waves have already been taken over by those telecom companies um, and some haven't. So it's kind of leaving people in a lurch right now, having to get stuff now or have to wait and have to figure it out then. But the switch is supposed to be complete by July of 2020. So a lot of theaters both professionally, community, and educational, regional, around the country, are having to spend a lot of money to replace mics, and that's not going to be cheap. Now, in a Broadway theater, that the money is less of the issue as it is trying to find the airwaves that everyone can use in that small um, in that small perimeter of what yeah of what broadway is in that spectrum but for a lot and a lot of what this wired article talks about is that if you're a school and you've got 20 mics and that might be high for a high school but whatever you know 20 mics those can cost up to a thousand dollars if you get the because you have to get supporting equipment you have to get lavaliers you have to get pins you've got to get the board um and then as you talk to places like the uh, one of the shakespeare theaters they talked about um is looking probably have to spend a hundred thousand dollars just to replace their mics and a lot of these are nonprofits that live you know the essence of paycheck to paycheck when it comes to getting donors so um this is going to be a very costly thing Thing for a lot of people, not just the theater community, but we are a theater podcast. So it, it's going to be something that's going to hit the community at all parts, high and low, pretty hard over the next few years. Yeah. Anybody who's ever worked with wireless mics uh, knows that they're temperamental just without this mm-hmm. issue coming into play. Now, if uh, you're going to have uh, uh, um, you're going to have collision in the uh, in the transmission yeah. space. That is uh, problematic. Anybody, um, you know, every now and then you might have seen a show where you might have hit the McDonald's drive-thru um, <laughs> coming through on the stage mics as in certain theaters that I've been to in the past. You hear that because they're sharing oh, the same hilarious. space. So, uh, yeah, this is a huge unexpected uh, cost and hopefully... You know, aside from companies that are releasing mic, uh, wireless mics in the new frequencies and the new in the spectrum, hopefully some companies will figure out uh, some conversion kits that are able to convert yeah. existing mics to uh, the new spectrum. All right. So uh, next up, Broadway says goodbye to Boys in the Band and Hello, Donna. Yes, James, the former marked the closing of the star-studded 50th anniversary production of Matt Crowley's groundbreaking play over the weekend. The show, as everyone remembers, was directed by Joe Mantello and starred Jim Parsons, Zachary Quinto, Matt Bomer, Andrew Reynolds, Charlie Carver, Robin DeJesus, Brian Hutchison, uh, Michael Benjamin Washington, and former One Life to Live star Tuck Watkins. In the show notes, we will have a video of their final bow on Broadway. James, this was the first show of the uh, 2018-2019 Broadway season. If everyone remembers, it began previews, I think, before before or right after the uh, Tony eligibility deadline ended um, and then opened about a month later. Uh, I I don't know, James, this will be a really interesting test case if this show will be remembered when award season comes around next year. Huge stars, so they weren't super worried about selling tickets or maybe even winning awards. But this is a show that seemingly everybody loved. And with those names, it'll be interesting to see 
if denominators and voters remember these performances in for now, what is what, eight, nine months, um, I have a feeling that something very similar is going to happen when it comes to the all-female Glengarry Glen Ross, uh, which will open at about the same time. So we'll see what happens and we'll see if this is something that becomes uh, a trend. We've seen shows opening in the summer um, with Hamilton and then Dear Evan Hansen and kind of changing the, the Broadway calendar. If this star-studded type show does well both financially and at the uh, uh, in the awards season, James, I think we could see that happen a lot more in the future. In um, you know, in a different kind of farewell, over at the Schubert yesterday, the wonderful two-time Tony winner Donna Murphy played her final performance as Dolly Gallagher Levi in the Tony-winning revival of the show. She has been Bette Midler's alternate throughout her two runs, and with the show closing on the 25th of this month, her slot in the rotation is now officially done. However, for those of us that saw her, it was really a remarkable performance, and I am convinced had she originated the role in this revival, she would have won the Tony that otherwise went to the Divine Miss M. My Broadway World colleagues put together a nice look back at Donna's time in the show with some pictures and interviews and video. So if you want to check that out, you can in the show notes. And one other goodbye um, is Eric Bergen ended his run in Waitress yesterday. What's interesting is that there has been no replacement Dr. Pometer announced yet. Um, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if there will be a... Um, you know, the understudy going on, which they've done in the past with Stephanie Torns, um, who's kind of bridged the gap between Jenna's. Um, but James, I'm just I'm not saying I'm just saying, even though I said it the night that Nicole, uh, Nicolette Robinson was announced, could they be bringing it, letting the understudy go on for the week or so until Kat McPhee leaves and then have Leslie Odom Jr. come in when Nicolette starts as well? I mean, it's kind of all of the tea leaves, as I said back then. If I was marketing it, I would have announced Nicolette first, and then maybe you wait a few weeks and then make the bigger splash with Leslie. I, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I have no inside information, but it seems like that's how they're playing it. That would be uh, some good producing over there with the Weislers, and uh, they are smart marketers. So yes, they are. If in, if in fact this does play out uh, like that, and uh, Leslie is going into the show, then I think that. Your uh, Miss Cleo prediction is going to come to fruition. Miss Cleo. Yeah, I think we're going to have to make that a drop regularly. I'm going to cut that up and, like I did on that last show. Maybe a little better edit, and uh, we'll just drop it in whenever we need to. All right. Uh, well, we haven't done a theatrical schedule in a while because it's been the summer. So what's coming exactly. up this week? Yeah, it, we, we've kind of been getting around it because there's only been like two or three things opening or previews or closing. But there's a few big ones this week, so I wanted to mention them. First up, tonight, the original Broadway production of Getting the Band Back Together officially opens at the Belasco Theater with a book by the show's producer, Ken Davenport, and the Grundle Shots. It also has a score by Mark Allen and is directed by John Rando. The cast features Mitchell Jarvis, Jake Clates, Manu Narayan, Paul Witte, Mary Lou Henner, Kelly Barrett, Brandon Williams, Garth Kravitz, Tamika Lawrence, Becca Cody, and more. In the show, Mitch Papadopoulos always wanted to be the next Bruce Springsteen, but when his big, sh uh, but when he became a big shot banker and then was handed a pink slip on his 40th birthday, he's forced to move back into his New Jersey home with his mother. A run-in with his former music rival leads to a threat of foreclosure on his family home unless he can win the battle of the bands. Makes perfect logical sense. Uh, a rematch of over 25 years in the making. So he dusts off his guitar and gets the band back together. Now, if you are a completist and like seeing all of the musicals in a Broadway season, I have no idea what tricks Davenport might play to keep this one running. But it's not selling very well. In fact, it's selling pretty bad. So you might want to see this one sooner rather than later. 
So uh, if that's the underlying story there, uh, are, is it possible that Ken would bring the School of Rock kids into play uh, so that they could battle the bands against them? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty fun. Okay, Ken, of course, has a connection. Uh, to with, Andrew Lloyd Webber, yeah. Yeah, with Andrew Lloyd yeah. Webber. Who knows? It would be a really interesting – I don't know that we've ever had a shared theatrical universe on Broadway at the same time. <laughs> that would I mean, be really funny or or or, or he could logistically. he could have um he could have actually getting the band back together could have been a sequel to School of Rock where one of the kids went on to went shoulda, on to, coulda. yeah yeah shoulda woulda coulda okay uh, so what's going on Thursday <laughs> All right, so later in the week, we'll have another Broadway opening, but one that is selling significantly better than getting the band back together as Pretty Woman opens at the Nederlander, starring Samantha Barks, Andy Carl, Orfe, Eric Anderson, Jason Danieli, and more. The show features a score by rock icons Brian Adams and Jim Valance, and a book by the film's original screenwriter, J.F. Lawton, and the film's original director, the late Gary Marshall. Jerry Mitchell directs and choreographs. Now, James, this is been selling very well hasn't even had an eight performance week yet but has been grossing over a million dollars and the buzz is that while the show is good it's fine it's one of those things that people will like not going to be anything groundbreaking but will do really well with tourists but the big takeaway is is that samantha barks who's a decently sized star in the uk with this performance will make her a full-fledged broadway star so uh, I'm hearing really good things about this, and I'm hearing one nitpicky thing. Do you know what that is? Um, no. Uh, tell me. I was trying to think real quick. Jason Danley, one of the best oh. voices mm-hmm. on Broadway, does not sing, sing in this show. No. What kind of what, – what universe are we living in? <laughs> is this what America's come to? Uh, Jason should make, just break make Jason out. Jason Danley great again, yeah. Oh, um, he is great already. We j- I just yeah. got to get let the man sing. Oh. Well, apparently he had a song in the Chicago run at one point, and then they realized that it just wasn't necessary to drive the story forward, and uh, they cut it. And I, I think there was actually some conversation that, well, I mean, is he really going to stay in this show if he doesn't sing? Um, but it is a Broadway show, and is if you know a featured role, so it's tough to turn that down. Um, but you're right. One of the best voices, so talented, um, and, uh, you know, saves his voice a little bit and gets him a, you know, Broadway paycheck. So it's tough to argue. Oh, um, right. Yeah. So anyway, also on Thursday, Collective Rage, colon, a play in five Bettys begins performances at the MCC Theater, starring an eclectic and exciting cast of Dana Delaney, Leah Delaria, Adina Verson, Anna Viafanye and Shante Wyans or Wayans. Uh, the show was written by Jen Silverman and is directed by Mike Donoghue. Now, follow me here on this description. In the show, you meet five different women, all named Betty. One's rich, one's lonely, one's charismatic, and one's love, one's one's lovelorn, and one who keeps working on her truck. And as the press notes explain, one of the Bettys has decided to stage a production of that play within a play by that old English guy. What's his name? Ah, forget it. In Jen Silverman's unpredictable comedy, five women collide at the intersection of rage, love, and the theater. That's T H E A dash T A H, provoking each other to look. Uh, to take a look in the mirror and face the person they didn't know they could be. I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what this show is, but it sounds utterly fascinating. And with a cast like that, Dana Delaney, Leah Delaria, Anna Viafanye, like that's, 
that's a pretty interesting collection of actors. What about a, uh, a mashup here where the uh, the Bettys meet uh, Mary Page Marlowe? <laughs> <laughs> and they make a band and they compete against each other. <laughs> and they get it back together. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, oh, something I don't like is we have a slew of closings of some really wonderful shows off-Broadway primarily, um, but one that's not off-Broadway, including – Mary Page Marlowe will close on Sunday, as will the amazing in and of itself. Carmen Jones as well. The House That Will Not Stand and Twelfth Night, which we talked about um, at Shakespeare in the Park. And then heading to Boston, Moulin Rouge will officially close at the Emerson Colonial Theater. I'm sure it'll be back on Broadway within a matter of 12 months um, at the absolute latest. So um, if you want to see any of those shows before they close up their current runs, um, we will have links to all of their show pages in the uh, in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. So uh, Broadway Radio listener Kelly Foster is uh, up in Massachusetts and went to see Moulin Rouge on Saturday night and reports in so good. So just uh, 100%. They uh, are hitting home runs out there at Moulin Rouge. So it is, It's very divisive. I will tell you, it is very divisive over on the Broadway World message boards. Some people love it. Some people hate it. So it'll be very interesting to see how, what they tweak by the time it gets to Broadway or if they tweak by the time it gets to Broadway. But it, it seems to be very divisive, especially amongst people who love the original film. For the love of God. Give Jason Daniel Lee a song. <laughs> he can run over to Moulin Rouge, sing, and then run back to Pretty Woman. All right. What do we have in recommendations? Okay, I've got a bunch of articles, so I'm just going to run through them really quickly. The first, I've over the two and a half years of this show, I have made my um, affection for the writing of Elizabeth Vincitelli uh, nary a secret. Um, and she has a great, really interesting article uh, in the New York Times called, So You're Going to Name Your Play Blank? And she talks about how hard it is to name a play or a musical and and how it, they use the name of the play to get traction. She specifically cites things like Mike Birbiglia's uh, new one, which is off Broadway. The website is the new But if you just say the new one, that doesn't tell anybody what it is. You're going to have to preface it with Mike Birbiglia at some point. That goes into why shows are now using the author's name and the official marketing title, Arthur Miller's The Crucible, Harvey Firestein's Torch Song. She talks about some other things, including Collective Rage, A Play in Five Bettys, because that is so evocative, you're not going to forget that. But then she goes through some things that have been off-Broadway that are just common phrases. Everybody, fire and air, if I forget, significant other, kings and queens, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, the the most confusing, but in my mind, beautiful names in the history of the theater – title of show, which I think is just right in brackets. Uh, so great article. Elizabeth Mezzatelli is one of the best. Um, and then another recommendation. This is um, an article and really a Facebook post about Kate Bornstein, who is one of the I forget what they call him, but one of the uh, the, the narrator type folks in straight white men. Um, there was apparently a heckler in the audience uh, when when Kate came on stage uh, last week um, that basically said you're not welcome here mainly because Kate is a trans performer and and activist um, that was originally reported on Army Hammer's uh, Twitter and he condemned that person and then Kate uh, 
put out a Facebook message that said, I'm deeply touched by the outpouring of love and support in response to an attempted shaming of me that happened during a performance of young Jean Lee's straight white men on Broadway last night. It's true what people are saying. A woman in response to my opening line of the show. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and the rest of us called out from the audience. You're not welcome here. She goes on to explain that it's doesn't mean she, she said she could not have been more wrong. The cast and crew in the company of straight white men are warm, welcoming and inclusive. And the other trans actors in the show um, and uh, Ty Defoe and T.L. Thompson have been welcomed just as much as she has. So it just I, I don't understand why people spend the money to see a Broadway show to heckle, like to prove some theatrical point. Like, I just um, I don't get it, James. These people are dumb. Um and uh, anyway, moving on to another uh, story that you actually sent over to me, James. Apparently, telemarketing is still super important. I, If I don't know a phone number, I don't answer it. Um, so I just ignore telemarketers. But apparently, over at the Goodman Theater in Chicago, there's a telemarketer named Sherry Eckloff who accounts for 65% of the fundraising done in the fiscal year of 2017 uh, at the Goodman Theater. Uh, for, via telemarketing, at least. Um, that's pretty incredible. Um, James, you sent this over. Did you uh, have anything else that's jumped out at you about this one? Sherry Eckloff accounts for 65% of the team's fundraising. I mean, is there anybody better for Glengarry Glen Ross than Sherry? <laughs> Based in Chicago, too. Yeah. I mean, she's dialing for dollars. But on a more serious note, uh, it's really important for uh, a lot of the major nonprofits. Uh, we get those telemarketing calls from Paper Mill Playhouse and The Roundabout and MCC and all, all the other various uh, um, nonprofits in New York area. Um, they, you know, they put on these Shows. I mean, the, the public theater. I mean, I went to see uh, Shakespeare in the Park, and there were 65, 70 people on stage in Twelfth Night. Uh, that, that costs money. And, uh, and so this is a really important thing. And that the fact that telemarketing is still uh, a major source is really important. And, the, and in, in conjunction with an earlier story, they're going to need some microphone money. So, Sherry, <laughs> keep dialing. Yeah, seriously. Um, and finally, I'm not going to talk much about this one, but uh, Corey Kilgannon uh, for The New York Times has a profile of one Dr. Linda Dahl. Oh, yeah. Who is a, you know Dr. Dahl? Oh, of course. She, yeah. She is apparently the ear, nose and throat specialist yes. to the stars in New York City. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, it takes a village to get somebody on Broadway, and this is definitely one of them. Uh, Sarah Bareilles tweeted the story out. That's how I saw it, and she raved about Dr. Dahl. So uh, if you uh, want to see what that's all about, uh, they talk about Jessica Vosk, David Cook um, are all patients, uh, Neil Patrick Harris as well. So uh, check that out. It'll be in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. That's probably no HIPAA violation there. So <laughs> I, I, I would imagine they signed a they signed yeah, a waiver. <laughs> I'm kidding. So yeah, uh, Doctor Dahl uh, is the person to go to if you're having uh, if you're ha if lost your voice and you have to sing or or you're have some sort of issue ear, nose, and throat wise. She's absolutely the person to go to. He works hand in hand with uh, Liz Kaplan. All right. So Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for kicking off your week with us and spending some of your Monday. 
And I think uh, I'll be back again with you tomorrow with Matt. Yes, with me. But then... Not Wednesday. Wednesday. No. You'll be gone. Yeah. I'm seeing. Getting the band back together. Getting the band. Every time I type that into uh, the script, it it autocorrects to getting with the uh, apostrophe. I'm like, no, stop it. That's why the apostrophe's there. If you can autocorrect. (laughs) 